So welcome to our Early Years Conversations podcast with me, Kate Moxley, and the wonderful Kerry Payne. We're super excited to be joined today by Laura Henry-Elaine, who I'm sure will be familiar with Laura's work as an international Early Years trainer, author, consultant. She's also creator of BBC CBeebies, Jojo and Grand Grand. Welcome, Laura. Hello, Kerry and Kate. How are you? Oh, no one asked us that actually. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good today, feeling I'm a little bit tired, but feeling happy and excited to be talking with you today. Fantastic. I'm, I'm okay. I've, um, I've had a day of tech issues. I started my PhD this week and the third meeting, I've not been able to get into the team's room. So I had a slight meltdown. Um, and a big bag of crisps to make myself feel better. So I feel good now. Have me crisps. Why not? <laughs> um, how are you? How are you doing, Laura? How's how's things with you? How are you feeling? Um, I'm quite tired, if I'm honest. I'm absolutely exhausted because I'm spinning plates. But what's new there, right? <laughs> and um, I was just saying um, about recognising when you're feeling tired. I was fortunate this morning to go to the um, yoga studio. So I did a yoga session as part of my self-care. And I've been busy on different Zoom chats. So this afternoon, part of my self-care as well. I'm going to switch off for a few hours, even though I've got a long list of things to do. But I'm okay. I'm happy. I'm pleased it's Friday tomorrow and we've got the weekend. So tired and positive. <laughs> Oh, I think it's great for you to be honest, really, and just, you know, it's such a kind of up and down, topsy-turvy, strange old time. Um, and I think it's really, you know, how we feel some days from one day to the next, one moment to the next changes. So um, I think it's really um, helpful for you, for, you know, for us to be honest in these conversations with how we are feeling. And of course, last time we spoke with you, you came onto our podcast a number of months ago now, when we spoke to you about uh, with our um, special um, edition series of podcasts regarding race and anti-racism. And we're kind of, you know, a few months down the line and um, we are seeing some uh, change in conversation and some change in understanding and awareness in early years, um, which we'll kind of refer to. What are your, without going into too much depth and detail, because I, I acknowledge that would be um, exhausting and draining for you as well. I feel like it would be remiss of me though to not mention it, considering that was the last time we, um, we spoke to you on the podcast. So how are things with you since we last spoke and, and what are your thoughts and feelings on the earlier sector at the moment? I'm feeling optimistic, if, that's, if, if I may say that. I think there's been a huge shift. I, I'm delighted that more colleagues across the UK are joining in um, to conversations. They're joining in on the, the socials. I'm delighted for our friend and colleague, Liz, who's just doing some sensational work, as well as other colleagues out there in the sector. I'm delighted that um, the sector press events are coming on board and being more inclusive. Um, I'm delighted that um, white people like yourselves are having a, a becoming allies, are reading, are having um 
pondering about things that has happened to them in their past and thinking about making a change. And I think, as we've said, it, it is a bit of a cliche that actually it's not uh, a moment, it's an actual movement. And, and today, we're recording this, I know this won't go out probably for another week or so, it's the start of Black History Month, right? <laughs> and I sit on the fence with that a little bit, because I think it's good that we have this celebration of Black history, because Black history is a part of British history. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of bigots who say, but why are we doing Black history? But actually, it is a part of British history. We've got two new books out celebrating um, Black history um, by authors that have been launched today. So I'm quite excited that we're still having this conversation and it needs to be woven through our daily conversations, especially in our early years education world. And, and I'm really, de- and you know, the colleagues in the education world are trying to see what they can do which I think is a really positive thing. I mean, people are reaching out and saying, yeah, let's get uncomfortable to get comfortable. Let's have these conversations. What can I do? What can I have an impact? So I think it's been positive the last few months, to be fair. Yeah, um, and I think, yeah, just kind of, in, it's, I suppose, as a white person, having those uncomfortable conversations to get comfortable. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's about showing up in spaces and thinking about those spaces that I'm occupying. What, um, you know, what difference can I do there or what, how can I signpost to something else or I read a part um, I think it was a, a social media on, on Instagram the other day and it was like everyone has influence you don't need hundreds of millions of thousands of people um, as followers every person can influence someone whether it's in their words their their behaviors their actions whether it's behind the scenes whether you know because a lot of this stuff happens behind closed doors away from social media that kind of people don't see but it's everyone can influence can't they Kerry? A hundred percent and um, something that Liz had said um, this week that really kind of etched into my brain is that the the work at the moment that's happening around anti-racism, around addressing some uncomfortable truths, particularly in the earlier sector, is that it is legacy work. We might not necessarily see the full weight of those changes, but that that is that it, regardless of that, we still need to be kind of head first into into those topics and into those engagements and I think since we spoke to you last time Laura I think like the way the connections have grown between different educators and and we're having new and revived conversations and I almost feel I almost feel as though the, the what I've observed is that the sector suddenly feels a bit more rich and creative and people are starting to actually really have conversations that are like springboards to other aspects of the work. And, and it's still definitely very much uncomfortable. Um, there is a lot of listening, but I think a lot of the questions and a lot of the discussions that we're having at the moment is around how do we ensure that we go beyond verbalism, that we're not just talking, we're actually out there acting upon that. Um, and I think that holding each other to account, particularly as white educators, has been a really, I think that's a conversation we've had a lot, isn't it, Katie? you know, how do we expand this favour and what role do we play? Because Liz is very right, it is legacy work. We're actually paving the path for the future of children. And and that's why we get up every day and do the job we do to make a difference to, to children's lives and, and to give them 
better chances than than we may have experienced. So, so yeah, it's all been it's all been very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, obviously, just kind of mentioning Liz Pemberton there, the the black nursery manager. Everyone will know um, may have come across her if they've listened to this podcast before and across social media. And yeah, um, like the work that she's doing in the like. Um, I suppose the impact, um, you can't ignore Liz. Once you come across her uh, on social media or Twitter or wherever, you're going to remember that you've, you've come across Liz and, and, and listen to something she's got to say. So, yeah, we've had some fabulous chats with Liz. Oh, go on, Karen. And we have to ask, Laura, how does it feel to have been named the fairy godmother of the early years? Because I hear that is the latest nickname that you have acquired. Yeah, I'm going to I mean, or I have been told before another one, um, another phrase, another colleague mentioned to me that I'm the um, the Beyonce of early years. <laughs> so with the fairy go, you know, I'll take both of those. I think some of the times we need to be saying that's the other thing. I think in terms of our self worth and self esteem, we dumb ourselves down and say, "Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy." I'm going to take those titles. Come on, yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking it and I'm owning it. So thank you, Liz for that title and to another educator called um, Alicia who crowned me with, with that title many years ago. Very deserved and um, the other day you'd put a post on and I think me and you chatted about it didn't we Kate? You'd put a post on about exactly that self-worth and um, and bigging yourself up and actually valuing and, and I think that that's something that we, we don't see enough of in the sector. People are very self-deprecating. Um, so I think that was really because we had a chat didn't we Kate where we were like gosh yeah like it is so easy to talk about what we're not good at or where our failings might be but actually if we don't believe in ourselves I know again it sounds cliche but when I read that tweet that you'd put out there I was like actually we need to be that is part of that well-being isn't it being able to actually value yourself and to accept feedback as well when it's positive exactly and i say this all the time i'm really pleased that we've touched on this because it does link into how you see yourself how we visualize ourselves how we how do i feel about myself and an, an educator put the other day she started off her tweet saying um i'm blowing my my own trumpet a little bit and then i went in and i said it was the um an image that I share that another somebody else had quoted around that we need to normalize talking highly about ourselves and then the other quote that I share regularly which is the Muhammad Ali one was that is that it's not bragging if you can back it up and we need to start saying that because my niece stayed with me for a few days in the um some holidays with her brother and my sister-in-law and last year I was saying to her, I praised her about something and she was just thumbed herself down. Oh, really? I don't think I'm that great. And I said, Maria, moving on now, please start saying, if somebody praises you, just say thank you and received, <laughs> you know? And then this year it was quite funny because they would call me um, Auntie Lilo. She said, Auntie Lilo, I say that to my friends now. <laughs> so she's passed on that message and, and I've had to work on myself. I haven't been you know, this positive and this receiving, but let's celebrate ourselves. Cause it, you know, that cliche, we have to start with loving ourselves. And sometimes I don't feel good about myself. Sometimes I don't love myself. So I think it is important that we do that, you know? 100%. Do you think that that's um, particularly specific to our sector? 
Do you think it's a particular issue within our sector? Yeah, I think it's to do with our sector. I think it's um, a gender issue as well. As females, we tend, because some of the conversations that I've had when I've shared with people to beat themselves up, and you're not blowing your own trumpet, thank you very much, because this is what you do. <laughs> it is about, so it is our sector, and I don't think people are used to that, because I, because obviously now I'm working in children's media and publishing, and it's a totally different world. Wow. And I think in early years where we are having conversations equally so about um you know about race because that comes into it as well sometimes it's a cultural thing about not wanting to push your chest out <laughs> and and we could start having a hashtag about them celebrating each other because i know we do that quite loosely say for example if someone shares something with me i might say thank goodness for fatima for sharing that with me or john but i think um we do need to um gently poke our cuddle, cuddles, cuddles, colleagues, what my teeth in, <laughs> and to say, and to say to them, you know, shout from the rooftops. Because sometimes I have conversations with people and I say, I didn't realise that about you. Why are you sharing that? Because I mentor people as well. And I say, oh my goodness me, this is amazing. Share it. And, and for me now, I'm at the point of, you know, grey hairs being 52. I don't care what people think. So if I've done something, I'm sharing it. And that's your problem if you think that I'm blowing my own trumpet or I'm stepping out of line, getting ideas above my station. I've raised two children, one's autistic. I haven't got time for your nonsense, thank you. That is such a good, um, that's so empowering I think though. And yeah, it just, and it really like etched into my brain when I saw that the other week, cause I was like, actually we do need to be speaking more positively. And again, recognizing that if we do celebrate ourselves, that if somebody finds that cringe or is like, oh, it's, well, that's your issue. That's, that's your own lack of confidence to deal with. Um, and I think as a sector, um, and I know we're gonna to talk to you about family today, but we, we, as a sector, there are those familial connections. We do create like a big family because, you know, there's so much professional love in what we do that we've got to build each other up. Um, and so as well as celebrating ourselves, we should be recognising the work of others as well. So I think that's really, I think that's a really good message for Mental Health Awareness Week that people need to start, people need to start bragging. That is, yeah, and being proud of it. Absolutely. I think I've mentioned this before, the uh, interview with Michelle Obama and Oprah Winfrey, where Michelle Obama talks about, actually, um, it's okay to talk about my skills and strengths. It's okay to own it and kind of put it on the table. This is who I am. And um, there's a, um, a kind of a chapter in Oprah Winfrey's book, What I Know For Sure. And it's about, actually, as young women, you touched upon gender there, as young women, we're, we're told to take a back seat almost like we're told not to shine too brightly because um, we then become known as being too confident or too cocky or arrogant rather than being self-assured rather than um, those positive things. And I think, you know, especially in the work that I do coming into contact with early years practitioners, there is such a lack of, of self-esteem sometimes and lack of self-worth. And actually, you know, we, I really love the idea of creating a hashtag to start, um, you know, a movement around empowering one another and lifting ourselves up because we are a female dominated workforce and we unfortunately like to make presumptions and judgments of each other all the time based on negative um, stereotypes that 
you know, are just outdated. And so I'm just, you know, I'm just loving this whole conversation about how we can raise each other up, really. And um, Kerry, you talked about kind of uh, families um, and actually, um, you know, that's a lot of times how we talk about our early years colleagues is early years family, whether they are people we work with every day in nurseries or schools or whether it's families or communities, however that early years family kind of is for you. And one of the things we wanted to talk to you today was that um, obviously this podcast is being released as a special for early years wellbeing week and following early years wellbeing week we have your wonderful um, my family week which has been running since 2017 i think i'm correct yeah yes yeah um, and you know it, it reading through on your website um and actually for those people that are listening there's so many different um resources and things that people can download from your website for my family week it made me kind of think about the mental health first aid england campaign around my whole self around showing up just as exactly who we are um, rather than putting on our best Chinese versions of ourselves, our masks on and going out into the world and showing up, um, you know, and trying to fit into spaces as we think people want to accept us, if that makes sense. It, it's really about being the same person from our front door to our organisation, to our workplace, wherever that might be. Um, but sometimes in families, we get a role, we get given a role really quickly, don't we? Um, and in our early years families, we've got, we get these roles given to us as well. So um, I suppose it's just quite an interesting concept thinking about, you know, my family. And, and so tell us more about My Family Week and where it came about. <laughs> Yeah, so thanks for that. And I, you know, agree with everything that you're saying. And I'm, I am absolutely loving this chat with you two because my brain is sparking off different ideas about things. It's amazing. So thank you, both of you, actually. Um, I think my family, we came about three years ago because I had some reflections. It may have been on a train journey. But, you know, hold on a minute. We have Mother's Day, we have Father's Day and the paraphernalia that goes with all of that. The, you know, if you're a florist, you put your prices up, all the cards in the shops. And well, actually, there are a lot of families that don't fit into that, especially as, as we know. I think all three of us could think about families that don't fit into Mother's Day and Father's Day for a variety of reasons. And I thought, well, I could probably do something about this. So hence my family week is a week-long celebration. And I chose um, the autumn term on purpose because I thought with a lot of, there were a lot of new children starting in early years settings at that particular time, getting to know you phrase from home to setting and setting to home. And I wanted to share, um, share that and to have it as a celebration so it didn't matter if you were a lone parent if you were divorced if you had one parent that had died if you had um you know, gay parents if you lived with your grandparents for children in adoption and foster parents and it just started from that and the very first year I did it, I had a, an email from somebody in Mexico that said to me, well, we live um, in an orphanage and we're in, at, um, I'm the head of this orphanage and Mother's Day and Father's Day is very painful for our children. So thank you so much for this, because this is something we're going to join into as a community. And the tears came down my face hearing that story and for them as an orphanage, celebrating this because for their children not being able to take part in Mother's Day and Father's Day but my family week sitting 
quite comfortably with them. And I wanted it to be a celebration of sharing those lived experiences. So for this year, what I've been busy doing, I'm recording podcasts and I've titled it My Family Loves Stories. And I've been recording them and some of them I've cried (laughs) because I've purposely gone out of my way to interview diverse families from across the UK. So that's a family where there's kingship, the grandparents. I've got two gay dads and three out of their four adoptive children have a disability. I've got a, um, a single black gay guy, he's, a, he's adopted. I've just interviewed this morning um, a family from, from the Romani community. So we're sharing everything about their historical information as a community. Um, I've got somebody from dual family that I've interviewed, blended families, um, family where there's been a bereavement. And so all of these family loves us. So as I'm recording this, like both of you, as um, as we've all been lecturers and trainers, I'm thinking to myself, my goodness me, this is going to be a great evergreen resource for anybody who works with children, be it in the health, education or social work sectors, to listen to these stories because a lot of people, if you were just born in a a little village, which is nothing wrong with that, and then you start working with families, this is really good to think about the amount of different families. And one of the things I keep on saying to these families who I've been speaking to, I'm learning a lot as well, that it's not mum and dad and two children. It never, it, that hasn't been like that for a few decades, right? <laughs> so it's just for me. So that's what it's all about. So I can't wait to share that. And as Kate said, for people to share their stories and just join in. And it comes back to you when you said about professional love, the links there to, you know, my friend and colleague, Dr. Jules Page's work on professional love, because love is up the heart of what we do when we work with children and their families yeah that's um i feel really emotional listening to that because it i think when we think about diversity within families and we think about maybe some of the challenges that that children and adults go to find their family actually by describing it as a love story it almost it's such a hopeful way of actually for a lot of people it's not something that just happens it's something that you navigate and and you we're all so keen to belong that actually that journey and being able to talk about those differences and and yeah and that really speaks to me because I had a a really significant bereavement in January I basically one of my parent figures and died after a short illness and it's really got me thinking this year about I didn't see her as much in my adult life, but the impact she had on my childhood will see me from cradle to grave. So my own experience of, of my love story is, it kind of really makes me think of that. And I think an opportunity during my family week for people to actually consider their own narratives and their own journeys is actually really, like I'm so excited to listen to those podcasts. They will be brilliant. Yeah, because if, it's so powerful, isn't it, Kerry? And that's for me where I thought, okay, I mean, to be honest with you, last year I didn't, although we did have my family week, there was nothing new included, but this year, um, and I've had, I've been speaking to some people in the, the media industry, and it was too late to do it as a media type thing, but next year, because I do want it to be 
you know, like we talk about um, red nose day, children in need. That's how I want this to become as something as as powerful as uh, as powerful as that of that. My grammar's going all around the place. <laughs> But you know, fantastic. Yeah. As much of an impact here, I, I, I completely with you. And, and I suppose I feel the same with regard to early years well-being week. I think sometimes weeks can be, be criticized because it's like a one-off thing. Um, but it's, it's, it's about delving in thinking things in different ways. So, um, you know, my parents divorced when I was young and, you know, at that time, I was the only one out of my friendship group whose parents were divorced. And there was a lot of shame around that. It wasn't something to be kind of celebrated. But as a, as a you know, as a 40 year old woman now, I look back on what my mom did, how she raised the three of us, the things that she did. And, and I think, oh my, you know, that's actually, that is a story of love. That is something to be proud of. Um, but definitely some of my, my own issues around kind of self-esteem and self-worth will have come obviously from what shaped my childhood and obviously my adolescence. And so when you start to unpick it and think about it, it is, um, you know, it's about, I suppose, all of our childhoods and experiences and, 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 and what that means for us, you know. I love the whole concept of the story of love. It sounds fabulous. It is. It's just been amazing. I've just been blown away with the generosity of people, um, families being vulnerable and sharing their their story because I think, and especially for some of the the families that don't get spoke about a lot, and I just think it's just so important to to hold on to that, to hold on to the love, and may it continue because I think your early years wellbeing week, I think it's absolutely amazing. And I don't think it's a one-off. I think it's a positive thing, especially now, this time of what we've been through this year, number one, and settings that we opened in September, what I'm picking up and hearing from across the UK, how people are feeling. So I really feel that your early years well-being, it's an opportunity for people to have that check-in. Where are we? What's happening? How can we support each other and anchor each other up emotionally and spiritually? Yeah, and, and I think that's the, it, it's about those, um, it's about prevention. It's rather than we've talked, you know, keep saying the same thing, but quite often it's for those people that haven't got a diagnosis of mental health issues, for people whose well-being has been affected during this time because everybody's has been to some capacity and we are not invincible. We cannot continue to operate and work at the levels that this kind of world is demanding of us. And so we have to take those to take care of ourselves, but also be able to look out for other people and have those conversations if we can see that kind of, you know, that they're, they're not themselves. So yeah, it's, um, you know, just so important to have these conversations and create these, these spaces really. Um, as we kind of come to the end of our chat, um, I um, one of the things we've been doing this week is kind of recommending either sharing like a top tip or sharing something that we've been reading or read recently. And one of the things I was going to share regarding the, um, our conversation around my family week and thinking about my family was the blog that I read recently from Fifi, um, Early Years. Their blog is around uh, gender inclusive practice. And I found it 
uh, really interesting but it's um there's lots of things within that uh, blog with regard to i suppose um relating it to early years practice which is really really thought provoking and it's something i need to kind of revisit and i definitely think when you you've described your early years well-being week um sorry your my family week and all of the different range of families thinking one of the lines from the blog was around gender stereotypes and how we tend to view the care and responsibility intertwined, it said, with expectations of cisgender, heterosexual nuclear families. But like we all know, the world isn't 2.4 um, children, families anymore. It's, it's, it's completely different and it's time our conversation moved on. So my kind of recommendation for anyone listening that wants to go and visit a blog would be to follow Fifi early years either on Twitter or Instagram and check out the blog because it's really powerful. How about you Kerry? Oh you put me on the spot here. Um, I'm trying to think what I've, yeah, I agree, um, probably following on from what you've said around Fifi's blog so um, I think the reason a lot of us have connected with Fifi in particular is because one of the things that I think as consultants, as advisors, as trainers, what we've been working towards for quite a long time now is really trying to find and seek out actual practitioner voices, people who are on the ground, on the shop floor. Um, and what I'm realizing or what I've kind of picked up for a long time is that the answer to so many of our questions about the early years lies within those practitioners. And we know it from our own practitioner days. When you are in the thick of it, you can see so clearly what we need to be effective as a sector. And I think Fifi is the way, the way they write is amazing. But there are so many practitioners that I speak to on a daily basis that I'm like, we need to bottle these people up because they have got so many valuable um, valuable points. And, and Fifi is relatively young, 20, 21 or 22. Um, and we are, we are hearing more of those practitioner voices. And I think that that's something we really need to push really hard over the next few years is we don't want to speak on behalf of these practitioners. We want them speaking for themselves because they've got a lot to say. So that's my yeah. bite-sized thing. Absolutely. And, and how about for you then, Laura, any kind of um, well-being top tips or any further reading, anything that you've enjoyed? I know we speak a lot about yoga and how um, much of an impact that make, makes on your health. Okay. I've got three points, if they're okay. I feel as if I'm on like um, question time and we've got one minute left. <laughs> so a couple of things for my well-being, as you know, I do yoga, I do power walking. I've got my oils here. So today I've got peppermint and wild orange, which makes me um, alive because I'm feeling tired. I've got my diffuser going here. It's just switched off now. So that's the top, the well-being thing. And there's lots of cheap treats that I'm sure you'll share during the week. And I'll share stuff and use the hashtag. Wanted to come in and echo Fifi, yeah? Really and truly so important. As I said, I'm, I'm old now, the gray hairs are coming through. I've got this thing that we've got to hand over the, the baton to the younger generation. And me as an oldie, I've got to step aside now and let these youngsters come in through. So Jamal, Joshi, and Fifi's blogs, her writing. I've personally known Fifi for years because she works in her mum's preschool and her mum preschool pointing out the window is the nearest early years setting to my house. 
So I've known them for years and Fifi, and I'm just so proud that she's able to have a voice. And as you said, Kerry, it's these educators that are doing it day in and day out who we really and truly must hear their stories and really must take that on board as myself as an oldie and step aside. So that's what I would say to that. This recommending reading is Verna Myers. She connected with me on LinkedIn. She's got a really good TED talk about anti-bias, which has had millions of um, views, views on. Um, her TED talk is her... Uh, I think it's had over a million, over three million, and it's called How to Overcome Our Biases, Walk Boldly Toward Them. So when she sent me that, I then, as you know, as probably all three of us alike, the sparks were off my laptop wanting to find out more about her. So since Sunday, I've been very curious about and I love her work, I love what she's got to say, and it links into um, anti-bias, anti-racist fact, and also to about self-esteem and mental health. Ta-da! <laughs> Can I just add something there, actually? Um, because I do think it's really important to say what I really, after following you for very many years, but only really connecting with you over the last year or so, Laura, what I love is just that complete absence of ego and... The, the way you describe passing on the baton and actually recognizing that we, we have to expand to be able to grow. And I think that that really, it's something that I've noticed with you, Laura, over the past year is you will reach out to people and check in, you will signpost them, you will support them when they find themselves in tricky water on Twitter. <laughs> um, and that, I think that those qualities as, as an early years advocate is, is something really for people to aspire to. So although you call yourself an oldie, I would say you are very wisdomous. Um, and greys are cool. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you and received, Kerry. <laughs> Honestly, we could chat all day. We said we were going to try and keep that one short, but I'm not sure it was as short as we intended. But thank you so much, Laura. It's been so wonderful to chat with you today, and we look forward to following your My Family Week. And thank you for recording and supporting our uh, Early Years Wellbeing Week as well. Thank you, Laura. Thanks, and Laura. thank you too. Thank you both as well. Thank you.